Typically now I would give you a primary text that we're going to be in, but we're actually going to bounce to several this week, which is a little unusual. Uh, and so b- before we jump into the talk, let me uh, first, let's pray about the offering. Father, we pause just for a moment. We hope that as many of us will give an offering to you today, many of us will tithe, some, some of us will go beyond that. Uh, we hope that you feel loved and honored and, as usual, we pray for financial wisdom as a church leadership team. We want to do the right thing with every dollar that comes into the church so that the most amount of ministry can happen. So we ask you for that wisdom. In Jesus' name, amen. So my opening thought is, have you ever had a, the sense or feeling that I'd rather be anywhere but here? Now, some of you are thinking, yeah, right now. I hope not. But I picked this image. That guy doesn't look happy that he's wherever he is. But, you know, I just, I'm just not, I've, I'd rather be anywhere but here. One of my f- examples that I thought about when, is when I was um, traveling internationally, which I do not do very often, but I was on a mission trip in Kampala, Uganda, and you don't have to know where that is. But we were trying to get from one part of the city to another part of the city, and we experienced Kampala traffic jam, Kampala, Uganda traffic jam. That. Now, those are not pictures I took while I was there. I was jumping online, and so apparently it's kind of known for traffic messes. And it was, just to try to paint the picture, it was not just slow traffic. It was a scary setting. It was unfamiliar to me. There was lots of honking horns and yelling people. And to add to it, because we were approaching this big city circle with multiple lanes of gridlock and all this, and people walking all over in the midst of it, And the host that was driving, and I was on the right side of the car, I think I was in the front seat, and I have had either my cell phone or my wallet out in my hand or on my lap, and he said, hey, put those in your pocket. And I was like, why? And he said, said, because, because of the gridlock, it's not uncommon to have people run up, reach in the car, grab your stuff, and take off running because they can think... They can get away. And my thought in that moment is, can we be somewhere else? (laughs) I really was like, can I go home now? Is there another way we can get to this place? So that's one example of, I don't really want to be here right now. Can you think of anything in your life? Maybe it was the last time you got together with your family. Hopefully not. But you know, and then that thing happened and you're like, oh gosh, I don't want to be here Maybe for you it's a, a board meeting or a specific business thing and you just know that this is, that you'd like to get away out of it. Well, I'm going to make a big jump here and just uh, confess to you that I right now have a similar sense whenever I think about engaging in the political realm right now. I have some sense of, can I just go somewhere else? 
Did anybody, did anybody watch the debates recently, the presidential? You're afraid to admit it. It's, it's okay. But I, I, the presidential debate, this is just me personally. You may have loved it, and it's great. But I, the first few minutes were great or okay. And, but the longer it went, the more I was like, I think I want to go do something else. And actually, I didn't make it through the whole presidential debate. I don't know. I forget what I did. I went and brushed my teeth or something. I don't know what I did. But there's just this feeling of, I don't, of, does anybody relate to it at all? No? A couple, like, apprehensiveness. Uh, by the way, I am not blaming any specific candidate. And if you're old and older, you will probably recognize somewhat of a, of a decline in the political climate thing. I was doing a little research. don't know if Google's right, but apparently the first uh, attack ad or smear ad happened back in 1964. And I remembered. I was one years old. I was watching television. And I, no, I don't remember it. Um, but I do remember the season when, when I saw the first, like, attack ad, and I remember feeling, it was probably, does anybody remember 15 or 20 years ago when you saw your first, and I remember going, well, that was, that didn't say anything about what they were going to do. The whole ad was just slamming the other candidate, and I remember having a yucky feeling then, like, well, what is, that's not the way to do this. And so I'm just sharing that there's some part of me that when we talk about leaning into political things, there's a part of me that, that wants to run away right now. But biblically, there's also some sense for me of responsibility to stay involved. Let me give you a couple Bible verses. Matthew 5.14 says, it's talking to Christians, if you're a follower of Jesus, says, you are the light of the world. And it goes on to say that people with light, you don't hide it under a bowl. You put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. That compels me to lean in and try to be active. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the left, right, moderate. Notice this is not what it says. This is God loves the world. And he gave his only son for the world. So I probably at least should consider how I can give a part of my life and time to try to be helpful in the grand scheme of things. Matthew 6, 9, part of the Lord's Prayer. We're going to touch on this a little later in the talk. Uh, uh, some of you will know the prayer, right? The most famous prayer ever, probably. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Here we go. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And I don't think that's something as a, as a Christian we just pray. If I can help get God's will on earth like it is in heaven, I ought to try to do that. So, Hold those thoughts. We're in this series called Asking for a Friend. And today's question is, how can I navigate politics 
with my faith? Or how can I navigate politics as a Christian? And there's probably three groups of people right now that are listening. The first group is, I wish I wasn't here. <laughs> like, why did I come? And right now, if you get up and leave because you're here in the auditorium, we will pretend you're going to the bathroom. And you go have coffee. And uh, there's probably some group, because you're, you're on overload politically, or you somehow think that, you know, we shouldn't be talking about politics. And I, I, it's okay. There's probably another group that you're, you're uh, adjusting your posture. You're just waiting because you're like, oh, pastor, man, you better say everything right or I'm going to be talking to you after this year, right? And I just want to tell you now, my, my email is mark at vineyard.org. which is not hard to find, or I'll hang around after the service and you can come and, and tell me how wrong I am or whatever. Now, that's okay. The third group is actually the group that I'm most uh, uh, focused on, and it's the group that, like me, you could use some help. Because I don't think this is easy. And, and you're like, I'd like to know, because I'd like to, I'm a follower of Jesus, or I'm, I'm exploring God, and it would be interesting to know how can a person, how can a Christian engage in the present political situation in a way that might be helpful. Um, and so before I give you a couple ideas, I want to do one more thing and just try to share with you my posture in teaching this weekend, which is different than some weekends. Um, I'm going to give you some ideas that may help more than what I would call commands from God. I'm going to give you some ideas that I think can help more so than what I would call commands from God. There's an approach um, in 1 Corinthians 7 where Paul, the Apostle Paul, really takes an interesting, I would call more humble approach to addressing some questions. If you know the context, this letter that Paul's writing, he's writing to a group of, peer, of people who apparently had some questions. So he goes on for about six chapters, and then in chapter 7, Paul says, and now about the, does he say the things? I can't remember. Now about the things that you asked about. Now about the things that you wrote about. In other words, these are Christian friends who are like, hey, Paul, can you help us know what God's will is because, regarding these things? And at one point in that chapter, he says, now about, now about virgins. And he says this. It's really interesting. I have no command from the Lord, but I give a judgment. Do you see the posture of that? Most of the time, Paul's pretty clear, and he says, this is what you're supposed to do. Here's the command of God. But in this question, he's like, you know, they're like, hey, what about virgins? And Paul seems to say, huh. And I, to pause and go, now I'm not going to give you a command, but I'm going to give you some opinions and ideas that I think will help as you consider this, which was, which was like dating relationships. Does that make sense? So it was a step. So by the way, so that, what that means is if you would disagree with something I say today, it's okay. Does that make Some of you are like, okay, well, that's good. Gosh. But does that make sense? But I do think that as a, as a leader, as a Christian leader, I do feel some sense of responsibility to put some stuff out there that I think will help. And I haven't taken this lightly, and so, but that's the posture we'll have. So uh, let us, oh, I want to, one, one more little thing. Just so you know, 
Addressing the democratic system, how we approach democracy, is not easy from a Bible teacher point of view because there is no, as best I can tell, there is no, there is no example in the Bible of God ever addressing a democracy. It's all authority-based. We're talking about kings who rule and emperors, who, right? And just so you know, God himself is not democratic. Some of you are like, ah! What? He's not. You know, there's no record, as best I can tell in the script, there's no record of God ever gathering people and say, okay, we're going to vote. You know, one of the great things about God is he will dialogue with humanity about stuff. But he never brings things to a vote. So it's a little, that's why I'm like, we're just going to do the best we can at exploring what the Bible might say that might help us. Shall we pray? All right, God, uh, mostly we would love your help. There's probably a bunch of us in here trying, we're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be helpful. We're trying to vote right and pray right and all those kind of things. So uh, we, I submit these words, but mostly we want your spirit to talk to us. In Jesus' name, amen. I have three ideas. When it comes to politics, the first one is this. Be different. And what I mean is different than most. And I made reference in the opening comments to, I think that politics has been getting ugly and maybe uglier and uglier over the last dozen years six years, three months, <laughs> just, and what I just want to challenge you with is let's be, let's be different than most people in how they're acting. In Romans 12, 1, it says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, do not conform to the pattern of this world. So don't be like the trend of the pattern that's happening around us. I thought about just having this point be, can you just be nicer than most people? I was in a pastor's, uh, pastor and leader conference we did here a couple weeks ago for some, for the region that I help coach. And uh, so it's from Pastors and leaders in vineyard churches in northern Indiana and Michigan came here, and we tried to bring some encouragement in their life. And in one of the sessions, we did a Q&A, some of the questions they had submitted, and then toward the end, we just, uh, the, the moderator said, hey, does anybody just have any questions from this panel that we had up on the stage? And one person that would have been toward the back over here basically said this, Times are so messy right now, and they were not just talking about politics, they were talking about politics, some of the injustice conversations, uh, and COVID-19. Like, it's like an ugly mix of a bunch of bad soup or something. It's like, in the midst of all that, do you just have one word of encouragement or challenge to us as we try to navigate that as leaders? And a friend of mine just did one of the more wise things I've seen in a while. He's, he asked the moderator, he said, so repeat the question. He said, you know, what's one word of encouragement to try to navigate these messy situations? And then my friend, he grabbed his Bible and he opened it up. 
And he went to 1 Corinthians 13. And he said, he just, he just hovered over the Bible, patted on his lap, and he just looked down and he read this. It'll come up on the screen. He said, here's my advice. Love, love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And can I tell you, that is a pretty great word of encouragement to how to navigate the times we are in. We'll leave it up on the screen. I thought of it this way. That scripture trumps all other postures. Do you see what I did there with that word trump? I could say it again like this. If we could just abide in that Bible verse, we would do well. Or what if we all just Kamala down and not be so pensive? I thought that was pretty good. It took a long time to figure that out. You go. Did you catch him? Did you catch all four? Goofy. Come on, you guys. <laughs> so anyway, with that scripture in mind, <laughs> I can't believe I took so much time. Wait, there should be some way I can work all these words into it. Okay, all these names. Um, I do want to bring one more challenge from this verse. Please do not look at the verse and then take the posture of, yeah, that's what those people need to be doing. Because that scripture is not for all those other people who need to do that. Those dummies. I want to say, no, 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 no. How about us? You know, it's easy to get a good word from God and go, yeah, that's what's wrong. Is all those people that are, I want to go, oh, wait, 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 wait. They're not here. But we are. And this scripture was written not to the world, but to the church, to the Christians. And it challenges us. That's for us to be, to, Okay. By the way, this idea, we're talking about being different, being different than most people, being different than others. This is what God is uh, a pro at. He, God is so different. I thought of the gospel where at some point in time, God was looking down at humanity and thinking, this is a total mess. But instead of deciding to jump into the situation and whip these people into shape. His idea was, I'm going to send my son and let the people whip him. And I'm going to have him take on their sin and pay the price for their sin. That is such a different approach to situations than most beings would take. God is the master of looking at things differently. And he consistently calls you and I, if we're a follower of him, he just say, look, I want you to think differently than most people on this stuff. Some Bible verses that came to my mind is, right? 
is in, in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does this rhythm thing in his teaching. And the Sermon on the Mount is in the book of Matthew, which is the second, kind of the second half of the Bible. Matthew begins in chapter 5 and goes to chapter 7. And Jesus would say things like, you have heard that it was said, and then he would say what was common. But then he would say, but I tell you, and then he would make a shift in thinking. Some examples, he's in 521, he says, you've heard that it was said, and then it went on to say, you've heard that it was said, do not murder, you shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with his brother will be subject to judgment. Oh, well, that's a different thought. Or you've heard that it was said, you, not, you, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you, anyone who just looks lustfully at a woman's already committed adultery in his heart. Like, whoa, that's different. Or this classic 539, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. That's way different. God just consistently calls us to be different. And another note here, this idea of being different uh, for us is really a process of becoming different. If you decide you're going to follow Jesus, being different does not happen instantly. There's this discipleship or this growing process. And so for me, this process of learning to follow Jesus has affected my uh, political perspective. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was 20. Some of you know my story was 20 years old, and when I first became a Christian at 20, I, I wasn't even a voter. I'm like, I don't know, didn't know enough about it, didn't vote. And God began to work on me and say, hey, you know, with scriptures like, you're the light of the world, you're the salt of the earth, and, and for God so loved the world, so Mark. And so I remember going, well, okay, I guess I'll, I guess I'll vote. Uh, he changed my life and my view over, I don't know, a year, two, or three regarding uh, abortion, because I was pro-choice, and I wasn't necessarily all that informed. I'm just like, oh, well, that makes sense, but then he took me to some scriptures and some different things, and he basically said, I want you to think in a new way, and I'm like, oh, well, okay, because part of the discipleship is this ability we change things as we get to know things. I'll talk about some verses about that in a moment. Recently, about three years ago, I was listening to a political candidate who was uh, talking about a lot, a lot, a lot of programs for the poor. And I realized that my response to, to whenever anybody was talking about a social program, so much of the time, I would just shift into what's best for the economy mode. And I really believe I was confronted by God because, and he said this, he kind of asked me these questions. I didn't hear his voice, but I kind of did inside. And it was like the Lord said, Mark, how many Bible verses are there about the economy? And then, he, then there was a pause, like I was thinking, whoops. And he said, how many Bible verses are there about caring for the poor? And I'm like, oh my. And it, was, it entered me into a process of trying to line up my thoughts with those priorities. I'm still trying to figure that out. A fill in the blank here is, the political pattern of a Christian is subject to change. That's what I would hope for us. A willingness to continue. If you don't like the word change, then write develop. Just, we just need to keep developing and asking the Lord, how do we do this and what should we do? And 
And a little, little side note, don't get stuck on what, was ha- what you decided 13 years ago. Oh, I just have decided this. Because there's a development side of being a Christian, and we need to resubmit our thoughts at times and say, Lord, what, what, should, what should we be doing? What should I be doing? So uh, to bring this into the room, just a question for us to assess. Am I open to Holy Spirit adjustments? Because we're supposed to be different from most. So that was point number, idea number one. The second idea is when it comes to politics, emphasize God's kingdom. God's kingdom. Have a focus on that. I'm going to use the verse from the Lord's Prayer that we looked at earlier. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Bang. That is my driver for my political activity. I'm supposed to do things, pray things, vote ways that bring God's will from heaven, right, the way it would work in heaven, to the earth. So what I want to do with the rest of this point is give you some hints on what does that look like. Most of this is like, what does that kind of look like in my life? It may not be your life, and it may not be the best, but hey, we're just trying to be, just trying to be helpful with some ideas. So the first hint is, uh, I attach my position or positions to Scripture, like Bible verses, so that I don't just go, well, I don't know, my grandpa always said the the, the, you know, my grandpa always said the Democrats were idiots, so I thought they were all idiots, because that's what grandpa said, or, or grandpa said that nothing good, you know how we, well, well, my mom taught me that the Republicans are, so instead of just going by, well, I read a blog that said blah, 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 or you know how we get attached, so instead of just attaching ideas to whatever we, like, what's the Bible say about things? So like my Bible verses for me being pro-life, there are multiple verses. Here's a couple, though, that have affected my life. Jeremiah 1.5 says about a man, God's talking to a man. He says, before I formed you in the womb, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Oh, God knows that person. That's a thing. Genesis 9-5, I was just reading this in my Bible time recently. God says, I will demand an accounting for the blood, I'm sorry, accounting for the life of another human being, whoever sheds human blood. By human shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. And those are just some verses for me. And by the way, if you think differently than I, I'm good. This is, this is how I'm figuring out my posture on things. But, but I'll just give you a heads up. If you come up to me and, and you're pro-choice and you say, don't quote me statistics from the university of whatever, because as a follower of Jesus, I'll first ask if you're a follower. As a follower of Jesus, I'll say, find your Bible verses. Find your, find your scripture. If you're going to stand on something, find your scripture. 
that's okay, okay. And I'll be nice and all that stuff. But I'm just not impressed with what this so-and-so opinion of blah, 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 blah. I'm like, oh, okay. I've decided that I'm just trusting this book. Do I do it perfectly? Everyone answer that question. Do I do this perfectly? Thank you for being so right in your assessment of my life. No, I don't. But this is my, what I'm striving to do. Aren't we having fun? This is so much fun. So attach your positions. Oh, I'm still working on my uh, approach to social justice and care for the poor. And I'm like, God, get, help me. Help me, find some, help me find my Bible stuff to know what to do with some things. And a second hint is connect blessing to a righteous leader. I don't know if I like my own fill-in-the-blank there. But what I mean is, well, Proverbs 29.2 says, When the righteous thrive, the people rejoice. That's a fun picture. It says, When the wicked rule, people groan. And so as best we can do, whether it's our vote or our prayer or whatever, man, I just try to get the most God-fearing, righteous, best person in that place, office, in the county or in the region or in the state because I trust that the Bible is true that that from the top down that that the blessing of God affects those underneath the authority of whoever's up top. If you read through the Old Testament there's this up and down season of God's people and so much of it depended on whether the king or the ruler honored God or whether they didn't honor God. One example is from 2 Kings 22. There's, a, there's actually, he started to be king when he was a boy. He says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And here's what it says about Josiah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. That's how I vote. It's one of the things that drives my vote. I just want, I want someone who that's their heart. Because I think that'll help everything. Just to be clear, in the midst of that, my hope is not in a leader. I'm not putting my hope in the leader. I'm putting my hope in the direction of the leader. I'm putting my hope in God. That if the leader is a certain way that God's presence will be more active in our community and state and all those kinds of things. And I want to touch on one other thing, because there's some pretty common, uh, fairly common ideas right now that all the, politi- all the politicians are bad, and that's all, they're all a bunch of, ju- and I just want to say, no, they're not. You guys, don't fall for the, the, that rhetoric, and because um, I, I had a chance to meet uh, have coffee with uh, a representative, Jackie Walorski. Maybe you've heard her name. And it was so helpful for me personally because I got to hear Jackie Walorski's story, her Christian story, her testimony. And I've heard a lot of testimonies, and she had this legitimate... It was just good to sit and go, wow, you got a heart that's trying to follow God and trying to be helpful. It was like, really? I'm like, oh, I guess not all politicians are 
whatever people say. Does that, no, you don't make it? I also had an interaction about, I don't know, four or five years ago. Uh, uh, Joe Donnelly came to our church. He didn't come to our church to speak. He didn't come to our church to, uh, to, to do it. He just, it was Sunday, and so he's like, I'm coming to church. And so he, he came to church, and somebody said that he was here. And by the way, I'm trying to keep this balanced, because I think his political association was with the Dem- was, was Democratic. But I got to talk, I, I cornered him, and I got to talk to him for five or six minutes, and I'm like, gosh. And he shared just a little bit about what he was trying to do, why he went into politics, and I'm like, thanks, man. You know, we, we already looked at love always hopes, love always trusts, love always perseveres. And uh, I think the enemy, this is a tangent, so it may not go well. The, <laughs> I think the enemy, well, I do know this, the enemy is the accuser of the brothers, of the brethren. Just be aware when people begin to accuse, 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 accuse. That some of those voices are not. That's not God. Think about it. So that was the second hint. Connect blessing to a righteous leader. One more hint. Make my vote a prayer. I started doing this almost as soon as I began to vote. I'm sorry, but I really don't think a lot of times my vote counts. Because at the end, I look at the numbers of how many people won, and I'm like, oh gosh, I wouldn't have had to vote. My vote didn't matter. You know, I've yet to have a, uh, by the way, I'm, I think we should vote, but I'm not sure that my vote counts because I've never had an election thing where I look and go, oh man, we won by one vote. Bam! Or, oh no, we lost by one vote. Why didn't you get out of there, Tom? Why didn't you vote? Or what, does that make sense? So, but what I've been doing, because I don't know that my vote sometimes is going to change the tide of all things, but I know that my prayer affects the heart of God. So when I vote, I don't mostly vote, although I go in and I do the little thingies. I mostly drive to the little voting place, and I go into the little voting booth so that I fill that out, and then I just pray for four hours. No, I don't. But I just lift up. There, there, uh, there's a concept in the Old Testament. It's called a wave offering. And there's, I'll put the definition up on the screen. It says that, boom, it says part of the offering of, it's part of the offering of the Mosaic law. It was a symbolic act indicating that the offering was for the Lord. And that's what I do with my vote. I, I do this, and I, I, I think this year I may wave it in front of them. Because they would like take a grain offering or an animal offering. And, and as part of the symbolism, they would just say, God, this is, mostly about, this is about you. It's not about the animal, and it's not about the, this is for you. And so I do that with my vote. I just go in, and I fill things out, and then I typically, I would say, God, that's the best I know how. But mostly, I'm voting for you. Would you be the Lord of our country? Would you be the Lord of our community? Would you be the Lord of our state? And so if you, if you follow me in this year to the little voting place, if, if you're in a voting place, and you see a paper waving above the curtain, then you may go, Mark, is that you? And I'll be, yeah, just doing a wave offering before the Lord. Hey, uh, one estimate is 156 million people might vote this year. Wouldn't it be cool 
if like millions and millions of them went into the voting booth and didn't just vote, but said, Lord, I'm just, will you come to our country? Will you? I think that'll make a difference. So that's another hint or something you can do. Make your vote a prayer. So that was emphasizing the kingdom. Last thing, this is pretty simple. Win or lose with with what I'm going to say, confidence. And what I mean there is whether you win or you feel like you won or whether you feel like you lost, we can trust the sovereignty of God when this is all over. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't be salt and light and do what we can. But Romans 13:1 says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. So that brings us some comfort. God, you are laying things out. In Daniel 2.2, it says, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes times and seasons. And then look at that. It says, He deposes kings and raises up others. Side note, who's really in charge of everything? That's a good answer. The Lord. The Lord. And I'm not saying this to be abrasive, but but followers of Jesus, our hope, our primary hope is not in our governmental system. Don't be deceived. Systems come and go. Our hope is in the Lord of the universe. That's our foundation, is Jesus Christ. So, if you feel like you win when the election's over, that's awesome. If you feel like you didn't, it's okay. God's still God. You can be sad, but don't, be, don't whine about it forever or throw bricks through the window or whatever. Does that make sense? That's not. And not just out of a sense of self-discipline, but because our trust is in something way bigger than just a political system. Look, you made it through. And if you hated the whole thing, it was only 35 minutes of your life. Right? You've done other things, probably even worse than spend 35. All right, why don't you stand? We're going to close in a different way. I thought we might all uh, pray together the Lord's Prayer. Now, for some of you, you may have this memorized. For others, um, we'll have the words on the screen. But there's just some good stuff in here, and I thought it would be a good act of unity. So, you ready? Everybody ready? Clear your throat. You ready? Here we go. So let's pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.